we realized that our best customer uh, was struggling with competitors and they were like literally losing money in advertising and so on because they couldn't keep up on everything that was happening out there in their competitive landscape. I'm excited to continue our conversation now hearing more about your story. In part one, you shared uh, around your, your product, Compite, which is a competitive intelligence automation platform, um, really helping those who are in product marketing or sales enablement uh, easily track what their competitors are doing and automate that analysis. Um, curious, though, uh, going back a little bit before, maybe in five years, uh, you, you didn't start in the U.S., and you shared at the end of our interview that you wish you'd know uh, jump into the US, but what's your story? How did you get to where you are today? Well, uh, so we started in Spain. Uh, you know, we've, we started this company because we had a company before and that company was more like software development, uh, online business and so on, and like helping businesses sell online, right? And we realized that our best customer uh, was struggling with competitors and they were like literally losing money in advertising and so on because they couldn't keep up on everything that was happening out there in their competitive landscape, right? Uh, so we looked for a, so we were looking for a solution to help this guy. Say, you know, we need to help him. He's our customer and you know he's complaining about this and and see if we can do something. And maybe we can find a software that actually, I mean every company has competitors. There has to be something out there, right? Uh, there was nothing. So this is how we say we should build something because it's not that there are going to be less companies. And 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 we started and we started the software, right? And we started building the software. And you know, initially there is a playbook. Uh, you know, especially when you are you know in other let's say startup ecosystems, um, um, there is a playbook that 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 at that time said that you have to rock it in your country and then you can go globally internationalized, right? And I believe that this playbook was copy pasted from the US. And it's like, yeah, if you are in the US, you start in your country and then you go globally, right? Uh, but if you are out of the US and your country is like, you know, uh, less than a tenth part of the US, um, you, you, your market is not that big, right? So, and, you know, uh, all your neighbors are speaking like 10 different languages and, and that's a mess, right? Hold on and this means 10 languages, 10 cultures. And, 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 you know, that's cool. But the moment we... There is also another thing that we learned with the time that software categories start tend to start, you know, in, in the US, except for some other case, from very exceptional cases. But the majority of big software categories have started in the US, and they and they expand to other geographies after that, right? So what we what we did, we found this honestly, we found this by accident. So we we sent some emails to the wrong people, and they replied, and they became our customers. So double um, that. Uh, yeah, and then what we did is we repeat the process, right? So we sent thousands of emails to U.S. companies, and we started to grow like crazy. And and after that, you know, at some point we had like very big laws using the software, uh, and 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 that granted us, uh, you know, uh, being accepted in 500 startups in the acceleration in, in San Francisco or in Mountain View. So we went to 500 startups, and then is when we kind of like learned all what we're spending for us to learn or the like, hey, this is what the game is about. You know, welcome to welcome to the Silicon Valley. And and then, you know, we started working in the night. I mean, we already started before, like, you know, closing all the deals, working in the nights in Spain. We continued to do that. We built a team in Spain to do that until we, we, we let's say, we were large enough to, to raise funds and, and, move to, and move to Austin. We 
had to pick a place where we wanted to build our teams. And we had like many conversations with people in the US and more and more people were recommending us Austin, Texas. And you know, I came to the city, I fell in love with the city and here we are. I love it. And you still have the offices back in Barcelona? Yeah, yeah. So we have like, you know, our engineering teams and so on and product teams, they are in Spain. And then, you know, our go-to-market teams, this is like sales, marketing, customer success, and, you know, the headquarters and the rest is in Austin. Yeah. So everything is in Austin. But, yeah. I got it. I kind of, it's a fascinating story to kind of hear almost, uh, you started and then you go through the the typical um, uh, startup journey in San Francisco and... and uh, yeah. So it's like, you know, we, we um, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? until you until you've seen it and then when you say it it's like okay that's that 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 is what it is right so we, we have to do it this way did you self-fund a beginning bootstrap do you get vc funding equity we get very early money like you know friends folks and family and so on uh i i think we were lucky at this point that the fact that we were tracking competitors that sounds sexy right so uh and you know that that attracted that kind of interest of like a bunch of like angels and friends, folks and family in uh, back in Barcelona. That kind of like helped us start, and we you know we we had like good traction uh, when it comes to like you know being known in the local ecosystem, right? It's not that much of like an ecosystem. It's like a, it is a great ecosystem, but it's not that there are like millions of companies or hundreds of thousands, right? Uh, so everyone knows each other and. And, you know, we, we did some good progress there. And the moment we ended in 500 startups in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, that also, you know, helped increment this feeling of like, you know, these guys are doing great things. Um, so we were very lucky at the beginning uh, that we had the support of these initial investors. Yeah. Any com- uh, thoughts on, on what a, a mistake one could make when you're seeking funding? Any tips or thoughts around that that you could share? Seeking funding, uh, yeah, well, uh, um, that's, that's never easy, right? It, 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 it never gets easy, that's it. Uh, it, always, it is always more complicated and always more difficult to, to actually seek for funding. Uh, I think the one thing that I would recommend is, uh, you know, try to always uh, have a profitability plan in mind, right? So uh, it is not that complicated. Um, you know, we were very, let's say in this case, in, in this sense, we are also lucky that you know, we have a significant amount of the, uh, of the team that is not, it's in areas that are not that extremely expensive as could be, let's say, San Francisco, right? So uh, that helps keep these companies and that shortens the time or shortens the requirements for profitability. So if I had to recommend the founder or something, it's like raise the minimum you can raise uh, at the beginning. Um, uh, I know this is hard at sometimes because you know, it depends on what family you come from or it depends on what have you done before, right? Um, and I always had a mind or always had always have a plan to be profitable the moment because there are two stages before making money and after making money. Uh, before making money, who cares? It's just burning money, right? So it's like, it has to sound sexy. It has to be cool. And you're just burning the money. That's the reality. You're not making any money, Right. The problem is when you start making money, everyone starts measuring. At least that's how it works in B2B. Right? The moment you cash a dollar, the moment you start reporting MRR or ARR, everyone is going to be looking at you. Right? And 
and and they will look at this number and no matter what story you explain they will look at the number and how this number is gone right and that is the only thing that and if this number is going everything is going to be fine if this number is not growing oh it doesn't matter how cool or what price you have done it's not going to look that great right um and 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 the reality is that there are ups and downs and there are all sorts of moments so uh, get ready for the time when the number is not going up and you are doing great because you will be the only one that will believe that and if you stick with this and you know it it's going to get back to growth it's going to continue growing and you're going to show everyone that you're doing great progress right um but that could mean that you have to be profitable. So look, seek for profitability as soon as possible. And this doesn't mean being profitable. This means being able to be profitable. Powerful insight right there. Um, you, you talked about uh, being able to marketing, growing. Any tips when it comes to scaling, um, especially in today's world where it's difficult to get attention everyone's yeah. overloaded with constant distractions how any tips on how to get attra uh, attention attraction when it comes to b2b people um that's that's how i uh that's what we learn right so there is also a path in the journey of an entrepreneur that when you start a company you build the software you and your co-founders you build the software you sell the technology you run the ads um you know, it's a bunch of people that are actually doing all the work, right? And that works. Um, and then at some point, you realize that you're no longer calling that software. You're not running these ads. You're not in the, all these sales calls. You may be in some sales calls, but you're not doing the sales. Um, but most of them, you're... So what, what, what is it about? And, and, and how is it the better the company goes, the less things, the less of these things you're doing, right? Like, yeah, this is about people. So... A scaling is is once there is a market, the market is spotted and the vision is clear. It's all about finding the people that will actually do this, right? Will actually help execute this vision, right? And it's all about culture and execution and having the right people, making sure it's the right fit for the culture that actually needs to be set to succeed to succeed in this industry or in this business and 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 the most complicated thing is finding the people and finding the right people and keeping the right people right but the moment this happens it's magic because it's it's there are people that can do marketing way better than you have never done there is people that are you know, there are people that can do sales better than you've ever done. There are great developers that can develop software way better than you have ever done, right? And and your mission as a founder is fire them. Fire them like this, and, and the guide this team idea. and protect this team and guide this team. That's it. Hmm? Is there any common mistakes that you have seen uh, are, are made when it comes to hiring? A lot. A lot. Uh, you know, we... we didn't actually have an actual culture code until maybe like two years ago. And, and that, that is something that we sometime regretted. So that I think, you know, we, again, because you're doing all the work and you're, you know, used to do all this work, uh, we, we all knew there is people that we love to have in this team. And there is people that they're great people, but they're not a fit. And it's not 
their problem, it's our problem. We failed because we didn't identify that some people could not be a good fit in the company, right? And the moment you are hiring someone that is not a good fit, it's not their fault, it's your fault, right? Uh, and if you don't know what the fit is, then it's your fault. And, and that's very important. So then we, we, we kind of like roll back here and say like, let's build a culture code. Let's say what are the things we're gonna be looking for and let's just stick with this. And this means discarding a lot of candidates kind of like on an almost scientific manner. Like it's like, we're looking for this and this is not here. Beyond the resume, what methods do you use to, to assess the potential of a candidate? Um, one of the methods that work pretty well for us, kind of like we're not applying it at 100%, but um, I'm trying to remember the name of that, that book uh, that actually was helping us assess that. Um, it was like a, a, an, an HR book that was helping us identify what were the skills that we wanted. I'm, I'm happy to share it with you after. I don't know. Yeah. I read like oh, we can post the books. But but we we you know we, we use a methodology that actually says you know we have like a scoring of like soft skills, and then we we assess these soft skills during the interview, and we get more than one person to validate them. And and let's say you know if we need someone to be at a certain point, or you know let's say um, we need someone to be very good at negotiation, or we need someone to be very good at. Uh, stress management or something like this, then we, we're not hiding if we don't see this clearly, right? And 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 this doesn't mean. And sometimes I'm looking for things that that I am not, right? And and it is yeah, that's that's what it is uh, because this person is not going to be the CEO. This person is going to be another thing in the company, which is probably going to be even more valuable. And 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 we need this skill, and and we're looking for this. But soft skills are very important. You know, we tend not to, you know, we look at the resume, what has this person done before? And it, it is not always a guarantee that it's going to work. So uh, we assess this and we match, especially the, the main values of our culture code, right? And, you know, if in our culture code, being a team player is the top one thing. And, and we have this described, right? Like, you know, we're talking about transparency, about honesty, about uh, commitment. If we at some point detected this is not going on, we can move forward. Having that team, the excellent team, allows you to do so much more. So when you coming back to the conversation around expanding, especially expanding into new markets or new countries, going from um, Spain to the U.S., is there any anything you think that people should consider or need to consider when yeah, when expanding yeah, into a lot, a lot, um, especially when you're hiding, right? So. Uh, um, so when you're expanding to the U.S., uh, I mean, first thing for you know European founders, uh, you know, the U.S. is not about speaking English; it's about a different culture. It's it's not only about speaking English. There is a complete different culture here, and even if you know we're all in the Western world and kind of like we share a lot of things, uh, there are a lot of differences, a lot of them, and and this means this is exciting. I'm but, curious, like, what what would it be like top three things? Like that you know, uh, I I don't know. I mean, there is a, there is a there is a list of these. We could spend like I don't want to point like top three things because we're gonna fall into topics now, and and this is not this is not uh, what I wanted to do. But you know, even like the words we use, even in Europe, depending on where you are in Europe from, that completely changes. So a Spanish person with a German person are completely different, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
and 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 you cannot even compare that and 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 then and then you add an american is like okay th- th- this is like the different worlds right um but still th- the main thing here is not not only this it's listen there's gonna be like uh i like how one of our friends uh one of my friends described that so listen there are three distances here that is the physical distance which means different working hours um so the, 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 that is the, the cultural distance and that is the language distance, right? And, and these three things uh, exist there. So uh, when, you, when you wake up in the morning in the US, guys in Europe have already been working for like four or five hours, right? And, and if you email a guy, a guy in Europe in the afternoon, uh, this guy is already sleeping. And, and, you know, uh, it also works vice versa, right? So the energies of the team are different and you need to balance this. You can leverage this. There are lots of ways to leverage this. So you can have your engineers to deploy software while people in the US is sleeping, or it's just like most of our customers are sleeping and they are not doing, they don't have to work in any special working hours because it's a working hour, right? So a lot of upsides. Um, there are different cultures. This means that they, see things differently. The concept of what's right and what's wrong is different. It's slightly different, right? And what is accepted and what is not accepted. And how would you say hello? Or how would you start a conversation? Or how would you write an email? It's completely different. So you got to train these teams on this. These teams have to know what to expect and what is normal. And the fact that someone is not talking to you as you are used to being talked to, doesn't mean that it means that maybe they don't speak your language that well. And it also means that uh, you know they uh, the way they are doing it is the way they would speak to their to their family to the people they love. So it's not bad, right? But you need to know that because you may feel this is rude or this is unpolite or this is uh, uh, you know whatever, right? And, and these things happen, and you know you have to train the team on this. But the good thing is like then you have multiple points of view, and when you have multiple points of view you are also in a better position to empathize with like any sort of customer or any sort of people out there. So if you leverage this, you can export this. So there are, you know, um, a lot of stuff to, 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 you know, to, um, to consider when doing this. But the main thing is like, uh, there are going to be different cultures. There's going, so it's like different culture sets, different mentalities and, and the difference in the time, in the, in the working hours and the time zones is also important to keep, to keep, uh, you know, to keep in mind. I can imagine your your cultural awareness and, and, and intelligence is definitely increased to be able to have to look at uh, multiple angles. Um, that initial outreach, I imagine there's a, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and companies that are wanting to either get into the U.S. or those who are in the U.S. Are looking to get out. Those initial emails to get, you said you sent, started to send a bunch. Any tactics or thoughts you can share that may, made it work well um, and any lessons learned when it comes to that? Uh, well, we... we broke all the playbooks right and <laughs> and that's it so uh you know normally you don't you don't have to go outbound normally you don't have to go outbound until you have a very clear target that it's going to grant you an exceptional reply rate um which i don't know what exceptional reply rate stands for anymore because uh but you definitely like you know you it is Let's say after all this journey, when you should start doing outbound and you gotta go like target by target and making sure that uh, we used outbound to find the market. 
So the way we do it is we swipe the markets. We send the same amount of emails to every different industry and company sizes. So we block the entire market in like a matrix of industries, company size, and we send the same amount of emails, like you know, thousands of emails to every one of them using multiple domains and you know, all of tactics that you can imagine. But guess what? We didn't have a fucking dollar. So sorry about that. Uh, we didn't have any dollar. And, and we had to do something, right? And we had the clue that there was a market out there. So we strike the market and then we find some spots where we had higher reply rates and we sold these companies. And this is how we got into the initial traction. But this is, there is one thing that is like, if you try to sell everybody, you may sell to a lot of people. This doesn't mean they're gonna be your customers or your best customers today. So there is a consequence of this, which is like many of them churned. But then we learn another thing, which is like, who are the guys that don't churn? Now, it is very hard to explain everyone out there that you are churning customers on purpose. At the beginning, when you have no money and you're running out of money and all this stuff, it is very hard to explain this because even if it works, it is very hard to explain. It's like, so you're telling me, because remember, even if you have $2,000 of MRR, they're going to look at the MRR, anything else, right? Uh, and you're so like, no, 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 this, this, is, this is part of the, the process. <laughs> When you are like 2,000, 4,000, 6,000, 8,000 dollars selling small subscriptions is still at that time, uh, you know, having a bunch of customers and these guys churning like crazy, but some of them not churning and you're looking at who is not churning to double down. Um, no one is going to trust in you, right? And then suddenly you cut the losers and you stick with the winners and you start growing like this and then it's when oh okay that was working but in between no one will trust you and and but the way we did it was like this uh it was like we use outbound to to find the market yeah to to kind of like bother with the market was which is like what you shouldn't do at home anytime that's really insightful uh, uh kind of trajectory and also knowing that if people are they're looking at the MR, they're going to say, what's going on? This is bad news. But you as the leader have to keep that long-term vision saying, no, no, this is just part. I have to double down on those who aren't turning and keep yeah. pushing forward. I yeah. love that. And, and no matter how you explain it, someone will not understand it. Internally and externally. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, Looking forward, going into 2021, um, what do you see challenges that you're going to need to overcome in today's environment? I don't know if COVID is really affecting you at all. It probably isn't. Um, but what's coming much. up? So we had some, I mean, I think everyone was somehow affected by COVID except Zoom uh, and some other guys. But someone was like somehow affected. It's not, I mean, we're working with companies like in 30 different industries. So some of these industries were affected. And we have been uh, extremely empathic, em empathetic with them. Um, I mean, it's obvious that these guys, there's no way, you know, they can go through this without help. So we, we are here to help them. And, and, you know, that this means that, you know, many initiatives that we had planned and so on couldn't move forward at that time. And, but it's okay. I think that the biggest challenges in 2021, uh, you know, for us, it's, it's all about, you know, finding the right people and continue to do things that we are doing now. And, and you know, probably uh, at the end of this period, uh, we'll have to raise funds again. And when that happens, you know, be, um, you know, be, be ready for that, right? So it is this, this growth. And I think the biggest challenge here is like, it's what I said before, like finding, making sure that you have the right people in your team, right? The moment, if they are the right people, 
they know how to do it. They know how to play. That's it, right? And they have done it before. And this is also something that startups tend to fail on, that they try to, at some point, hire cheap. And just because you don't have the money, which makes a lot of sense. But um, it kind of like works the other way. You have less time than money. So um, <laughs> when you have to hire people, you have less time than money because you probably have raised funds, but you have a limit on the time where you have to prove you know, uh, uh, results. So I think the challenge is always in the, it's always in the people side here. Uh, technology is working great. The actual team we have is doing great. Uh, the market is out there, it's ready and it's growing. So everything looks cool. Uh, so it's all about execution and, and you know, uh, uh, growing this team and keep executing and keep these values and this culture the way it is. I think this is the biggest challenge now. Uh, yeah, I believe it's that. Growing as a leader and growing the business, what books, audiobooks, podcasts have you read in the past would recommend or currently reading or listening to? Yeah, I mean, there, is, there are a few books here. Uh, um, you know, I try to read everything that I can. Uh, if there are books that I really like, uh, you know, there is this book like Play Bigger, uh, talking about how to create categories and how to create your own category and differentiate. It's, it's not a very tactical book, not for the day to day, uh, but it kind of like helps understand what, what is this about, right? And, and a book that I enjoyed recently was The Hard Thing About Hard Things, uh, Ben Horowitz. Uh, I think every CEO at some point should read that book. Um, kind of like what is happening to you, it's normal, don't worry. Uh, I think it's like a very, a very interesting book. And, and yeah, I mean, obviously, if you want to go down to the tactics, you know, Predictable Revenue is a great book, even if it's, you know, it's been like, we've built a lot on top of this, right? Um, then I also follow the guys at Winning by Design. Jaco is doing a great job uh, showing entrepreneurs how to um, organize. And I like the formula because it's like all the, in between all this craziness, it is a lot of insight. And that is something that I really like a lot. And it's like, you know, you can always go back and say, yeah, I know what he's explaining me, but there's always something in there like, yeah, that is what I forgot about. But now I can go back and say, hey, guys, we forgot about this. We have to rethink this. You remember that? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, because we also tend to forget things, right? We tend to forget things that we learned before just because, you know, we learn. But then, um, you know, we always have to revisit this thing. So, yeah, I like, I like, this. I like this, this channel. That's a pretty good one, yeah. And wow. Saster, obviously, Saster is like the top one for SaaS companies and SaaS founders. Like, the content is very valuable, yeah. Last question for you, Perry. What kind of technology innovations do you predict we'll see in the near term, next year or so, and long term, five, 10 years from now? I don't like this. I hope we get to Mars soon. Uh, that's, that's what I would like to see. Uh, I would like to see us uh, going to Mars. Um, I think AI yeah, is going gonna, gonna to make a big change. It's going to change everyone's life more than the virus or anything else, right? Uh, I think we face what we are facing with a virus because we don't have enough artificial intelligence yet. And if we had these systems in place and already developed, we could use that power to actually identify or actually be able to control this pandemic even better. So uh, I think that's going to make a big difference. We don't even imagine how powerful can these additional brains be, right? And even if they are completely different, 
and they are totally complementary to humans, right? Uh, I think we're going to see this. Uh, you know, I believe in electric cars and in electric. I, I believe that we're not going to own gardens anymore. Uh, the moment we can get closer to each other again, because it's not going to be necessary when they are self-driven. Um, and it's hard to say, but I believe that uh, we're not going to own cars. Uh, we may have a special rights on a car, but we're not going to own the car. Um, and and yeah, and I think it's going to be like the software revolution is just starting, and the way the software can change our lives, you cannot even imagine it. Perry, thank you so much for sharing your insights, uh, both of the journey that you've been on and what you are building. I'm very excited to see where you go next. All right. Um, thank again, thank you, everyone, uh, for check out uh, Compite. That's with a K, K-O-M-P-Y-T-E uh, dot com. And you can see more about their product and sign up. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Again, our sponsor for today's episode is TerraLeap. So if your company wants to learn how to better leverage the power of video, increase your sales and marketing, head over to TerraLeap.io. We'll see you guys next time. That concludes the audio version of this episode. To see the original and more, visit our Uptech Report YouTube channel. If you know a tech company we should interview, you can nominate them at uptechreport.com. Or if you just prefer to listen, make sure you subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app.